Hello and welcome to the Audio Epics podcast and the sixth episode of The Beast of the Western Wilds, a witch hunter tale. My name is Domin de Groot, the author and narrator of this here tale, and I hope you will enjoy the next two chapters, because that's right, we've got two shorter chapters compiled into one episode today. If you like what we're doing, uh, you know, remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel or our podcast. And if you are really enthusiastic, know that you can purchase our stories as a download, as uninterrupted, complete dramatized audiobooks, even with some little extras here and there um, on Bandcamp, and also on CD from our website audioepics, audio-epics.com. And of course, another great way to support us is to write positive reviews on um, Amazon or Goodreads and to simply spread the word. So if you do any of that, we'll be extremely grateful. But we're also just happy to have you around as a listener. So, with no further ado, please enjoy Episode 6 of The Beast of the Western Wilds. The Song of the Bog Witch Ludlove sat in his chair, resting his chin on his fist, pondering as he watched the slow death of the fire and the glowing remains of the wood it left in its wake. Darkness slowly encroached as his eyes grew weary. He went over the Count's story again in his mind. As odious as the man was, Ludlove believed he had told the truth. But had he told the whole truth? Count Edelhart was callous and cold, but dangerously naive and reckless at the same time. That was what most likely had led him to seek contact with the spirit world in the first place, and now... He actually believed that he could postpone his doom indefinitely by keeping Frederick locked up in his castle forever. Ludlove had rarely encountered a demon, but it had happened before, and even his limited experience sufficed to tell him that she could not be fooled in this way. It was even possible that the Count's behavior was exactly what she wanted from him. Perhaps her intent was simply to ensnare more souls. After all, she had already entered Captain Elsenbach's dreams. Her power over this place was clear. If Frederick stayed here, she would most likely start influencing the child at some point. Then again, what about Hans? The young man seemed almost saintly in his demeanor. Surely she hadn't got hold of his mind? Or had she? There was one more question on the love's mind, a question that hung over all the others, like a dark cloud. Where had she come from? Just how had the Count and Countess come into contact with her? He believed the stories of hedonism and excess, and he assumed that lust and debauchery were in fact this particular demon's domain. But simply indulging in these things could not have been enough to raise such a powerful spirit. No, 
she had to have been here all along. Perhaps the actions of the couple had simply drawn her attention. The fire had died now. It was fully dark. Even the moon had disappeared again. Ludlow at last lost the fight against sleep, and soon he was dozing off. Ludlove awoke with that old song repeating in his head. He recognized it as part of an old folktale for children, but he was struggling to remember which one. It was still dark and quiet in the room, but he could just make out the walls and furniture around him in pale blue moonlight. He got out of his chair and turned to the window. The full moon was there, half-hidden, behind the tangled mass of tree branches outside. Then his heart skipped a beat. He saw a moving shape. A silhouette stood in front of the window. The sinuous feminine form was unmistakable. She turned away from the window towards him. In the silvery moonlight, he could see that her soft, perfect skin was wet and dripping with mud and algae. Her long, dark hair was a tangled, matted mess. Still, she slowly approached him with swaying hips, leaving wet footprints on the marble floor. It was both sensual and disgusting. Ludlove slowly backed down uncertain of what to do next. Then at once, she opened her eyes. They were green like emeralds, 
and luminous like burning coals. Her gaze was that of a lioness who had cornered her prey. Other than those eyes and the outline of her naked body, she remained hidden in shadows. Forever in my grip. She whispered as she raised an arm, and Ludlove could see her impossibly long and sharp fingernails. Those nails extended even further, writhing around Ludlove, ensnaring him like a throttling snake. Instinctively, Ludlove clutched his chest and felt the amulet of Santa Gwendala there. Remembering the inscription, he called out, Demona! Mundus non tibi appertinet! Santa Gwendala, ora prome! Then he saw a flash of light, and immediately the demon recoiled. Between them now stood a tall, winged figure in splendid golden armor, holding aloft a flaming sword. The light from the sword was clear enough to illuminate the entire room, as if it were a bright summer's day. The demon was simply gone, as if she had never been there. Then, the winged figure turned to him. It was Santa Gwendala, her face and hair both as white as marble, her eyes golden as the sun. Her gaze was fierce and gentle at once. To his own surprise, Ludlow was actually far more afraid now than when the shadowy form of the demon had been about to strangle him in her claws. For here before him stood uncompromising goodness. A light that could reveal anything hiding in the darkness. And what had seemed strange, powerful and alluring in the shadows was revealed to be small, ugly and ultimately meaningless in the bright flames of rightful judgment. Ludlow found he could not look into the eyes of this woman, and so he turned away his face. I'm not worthy. Then a shock went through his body, and he opened his eyes. He was still in his chair. The soft grey light of early morning made everything seem so mundane all of a sudden. Bereft of both the mysterious allure of night and the ferocity of holy light. Had it been a dream or a vision? And what had been the source? He felt a heat in his chest and grasped it again. The amulet, he thought. Something had happened. Taking a deep breath, he pulled the amulet out of his shirt. It felt hot, even for having rested on his bare chest. In fact, now that he had taken it out, he still felt a glow both within and on his chest. Santa Gwendala, did I really see you? It seemed so hard to believe now. With a sigh, he decided to tuck the amulet back underneath his clothes. His back ached as he started to get out of the chair. How long had he slept? It could not have been very long. 
As he got out of the chair, he saw Falkrin perched on top of a bookcase near the ceiling. The falcon was asleep. Ludlove looked out of the window. A soft purple dawn was rising, somewhere behind the trees. The song returned to his mind. Forever in my grip. Had the demon visited him in his dreams like she had done to Captain Elsenbach? It seemed likely, but that song, he had known it very well a long time ago. Suddenly, a realization came to him. Count Edelhard would never allow any of them to leave the castle. Obviously, he feared that the beast would catch little Frederick, which was actually quite reasonable, but the Count would want to keep Captain Elsenbach and Ludloff locked up in here as well, uncertain of what would happen if a mob of angry peasants with torches and pitchforks ever came to visit him. He would not be very willing to give Ludlov the chance to go out and investigate the origins of this demon, fearful of upsetting the delicate status quo he had managed to build. Count Edelhard was a fool who thought he could escape her clutches by using her own game against her. This delusion was all he had to keep himself from utter despair, but in truth he had absolutely no power over her. When Ludlow thought of the beast he had seen, he remembered its strange green eyes. The same green as the woman's eyes in his dream. She and the beast belonged together. There was no escape. Hiding behind the demon's own enchantment was utter folly. You can never guess my name. As he stood there, looking out of the window, Ludlove suddenly remembered the tale. The Bog Witch. It had scared him beyond words as a child. It was about a creature that was half woman, half monster, lurking in a swamp, luring children into her domain with promises of fun and games. Once the children entered the swamp, they all drowned. No one could catch the Bog Witch until little Greta, the heroine of the story, had learned the witch's name. Knowledge of the name had given her the power to expel her. Ludlove's studies had taught him that there was some truth to this when it came to demons. Names were powerful in the realm of the spirit, but that power worked in two ways. A person endowed with the grace of the goddess could command a demon in her name to leave by addressing it directly. But speaking a demon's name could also invite it, and leave you powerless if you weren't up to the confrontation. Ludlove was a witch hunter, and he had faced many supernatural dangers, but he had no idea what would happen if he were to speak the demon's name. Still, it would be worth it if he knew it. Did you sleep well? Ludlove turned. There was Count Edelhart wearing the same clothes as the night before. In the early daylight, Ludlove first noticed something strange about his eyes. His pupils were grey and dull, rather than black. It made him seem less present somehow. I didn't, my lord, unfortunately. She visited you, didn't she? Ludlove nodded, but did not intend to describe his dream. How are Captain Elsenbach and the baby? Count Edelhart stood beside Ludlove, looking out of the window with him. Both are still asleep. You will find that the baby won't cry. 
He won't be hungry. Here, food quickly becomes superfluous. Sleep, on the other hand, becomes life's greatest treasure. And so we slide away into oblivion. That explains Hans's demure character. This place simply killed his spirits. He's a fine young man now, witch hunter. He is dead on the inside, my lord. That is the demon's enchantment. No one in this castle dies, but neither can they really live. That's why you don't need food, but you do need sleep. That's why everyone here is plagued by dreams of her. She wants you to belong to her here already. Don't you see, my lord? Here, or in her domain, she's got you either way. The only difference is that here you can lure in more souls for her. Hans, Frederick, the captain, and me. She wants men in particular, doesn't she? The Count had been looking at Ludlow in that unimpressed way of his throughout his words. In here I have my comforts, and I don't need to be alone. It's not pleasant, but it's better than what she's got prepared for me. Ludlow went over to the window, standing in the same spot where he had seen the demon in his dream. He turned to face the Count. Do you still not see? You cannot escape it. She controls the beast, my lord. I realize that, Witch Hunter. I know that she can disenchant the castle at any moment. But she devised this game, and for now she's having fun with it. I just hope to postpone my fate. You must understand. I will do anything to do that. And in doing so, you are dragging down four other souls with you. Count Adelhard slowly nodded looking out of the window with sad eyes. Perhaps there was still something of a soul in him. You say you love Hans as your son, but you keep him here, knowing that every day his will is weakened and he will eventually be headed into the same eternal doom as you and your wife. Count Edelhard turned to Ludlov angrily. That sharp tongue of yours may get you into trouble someday, Witch Hunter. Oh, it has done that many times before. But I've always managed to get out so far. The Count pushed a strong finger onto Ludlov's chest. If you are suggesting that I would ever purposely put Hans onto a path of eternal damnation, you are a fool, and I do not suffer fools lightly in my house. There may be no death, but there can be pain in this castle, Witch Hunter. Ludlov remained defiant. Falkrin came flying down from the bookcase where he had been sleeping and perched on the Witch Hunter's shoulder, as if to support him in his plea. Whatever your purpose may be, Rufus Edelhart, you are putting Hans into a path of eternal damnation. Those dreams will keep haunting him, and no matter how strong or well-educated he may be, eventually they will overtake him. And then his eternal fate, like yours, will be sealed. Aiming your anger at me won't do anything to change that. Suddenly, Count Edelhard turned away from him. Ludlov half expected him to leave the room, but instead he sat down on the divan in front of the fireplace. He hung his shoulders and his head. Then Ludlov heard a deep sigh. I don't know what to do. You said that in Hans, you will leave behind a good part of your legacy. I believe you meant that. And you can fulfill those words, at least. Perhaps, if you do that, the goddess will take pity on you. The goddess? Do not speak to me of her, Witch Hunter. I have no desire to partake in the games of your church, either. 
Your goddess plays no part in my life. At least think of your legacy then, my lord. If you release Hans, he can return to his mother. There he may still grow into his own man, free from the oppression of this demon. It's too late. Ludlow went over to where the Count was seated. He hesitated to touch his shoulder, so he rested his hand on the backrest of the divan instead. It is never too late for one good deed. The Count looked up. By now the demon will have taken hold of his mind. She will be inside his soul no matter where he travels. Not if she is banished from this world, my lord. Count Adelhart frowned skeptically. You said yourself that she was more powerful than any monster or any wizard. Now you believe you can banish her? After all his moralizing, Ludlow felt compelled to be brutally honest. I have no certainties, my lord. I have never banished a demon before. But I believe in my goddess, and with her grace, it might be possible. And how do you propose to do this, witch hunter? I need to know her name. <sighs> she never gave me a name. So you didn't summon her that way? I told you, she came to us. It happened once we had opened the gateway to the spirit realm. And you did this through some sort of ritual? How does it work? Where did you do it? I need to know everything if I'm ever to find and destroy- Enough, witch hunter! Ludlow and the Count exchanged tense glares. There is a place to the south, not far from here. It's a pool of water as black as tar. That is where we encountered her for the first time. You will know it when you see it. I give you permission to go. Just know that if you try to leave these woods, my snatchers will see. What about the beast? Does it stalk the woods during the day as well? Not as far as I can tell, but these woods are hers, so you never know. You've made a good decision, my lord. Adelhart simply scoffed. <laughs> the nobleman clearly didn't expect Ludlow to return. White Metal Warm orange light shone through the branches of the trees as Ludlow left Castle Edelhart behind him with Fulcrin on his shoulder and crossed the bridge. He was on the beast's hunting grounds again, but he did not feel any less safe than in the castle. Even in the morning light, the woods still looked ominous. In fact, the dark colors of the trees and the layers of moss fungi and bare strands of ivy looked even more unnatural now. There was a pathway leading south, back into the thick of the trees. With some trepidation, Ludlow followed it. Entering the woods, he was quickly surrounded by pale mist, hiding the trees in the distance behind a milky grey shroud. The sounds of the deep forest echoed in the distance, as he made his way down the path. Fulcrin sprang from the witch hunter's shoulder and fluttered ahead into the distance. The bird gracefully soared ahead, soon disappearing into the mists. Ludlow was alone with his thoughts now. He didn't like that. It usually led to gloomy ruminations on the black sickle and his wife's murder. If there was one thing that made him glad to be on this strange journey, 
It was the chance to turn his mind to something else for a while. The sun disappeared behind grey clouds, dulling the surrounding light. After a few miles, the path split. The main path continued on as before, but there was a narrower one, mostly overgrown, heading diagonally into the thicket. There was nothing to indicate which way he should go, but Ludlow's curiosity won out in the end. He could always go back. The narrow path was on a soft downward slope into ever thicker undergrowth. The witch hunter was about to take out his rapier to hack away some of the underbrush when he saw the pool. It wasn't very large, and there was nothing impressive about it. It was simply a stagnant pond, full of dark water, half hidden behind dead reeds and low thorny bushes. In fact, Ludlow noticed that all plant life surrounding the pool was dead, even the trees. And there was a stillness in the air that gave even the hardened witch-hunter goosebumps. Sancta Grandala, protect me. He clutched his chest where the amulet was. Then he gingerly hunched over the pool, looking down at his own reflection. He saw himself as a gloomy silhouette against a backdrop of grey clouds and twisted branches. Ludlove tried to look into the water itself, hoping to find some clue. But it was so dark and opaque that he couldn't see anything beneath the surface. Still, he felt compelled to keep gazing at it. Longer and longer. It was like the water itself was drawing him closer. Then he heard the shrill cry of a falcon in the distance, and he was shaken out of his reverie. When he turned away from the pool, he noticed his face had been very close to the surface of water. He hadn't even been aware of it. Shaking off his discomfort, Ludlow quickly got up and made his way through the thicket in the direction of Vulcran's cry. He found his trusted friend sitting on a branch near a glade, half a mile further. What is it, Fulcrin? He was happy to be conversing with another living being, even if it was only an animal. The falcon simply looked at him with that inscrutable expression that was typical of birds of prey. Looking around, the witch-hunter suddenly noticed a slab of grey stone rising askew out of the underbrush, half covered in moss. As he made his way towards it, he realized this stone was not all there was to see. Further ahead, behind some tall bushes, rose more of the stones. As he approached, he could see the writing on them. It was High Thotic, written in the decorative Thotic handwriting that was slowly going out of style these days. Only parts of it remained legible. Countess Maria of... something... a lot. Thirteen... something seven... Fourteen oh eight, HTC. Beloved wife of Count... Eldrick... Edelhart, I think. Mother... of... Lisa... L... Luik... Ludovic... 
Aland? No. I don't know. And Sigrid. Hmm. Was this a memorial stone for one of the Count's ancestors? It was possible. Nobles were usually buried inside a church, but sometimes their families would raise memorial stones outside of their actual graves to give townspeople and outsiders a place to pray for them. The other slabs were memorial stones too, all dedicated to members of the Edelhard family. Ludlov knew that this meant that there had to be a memorial chapel nearby as well. As he continued, the bushes became thicker and thornier, and he really had to draw his rapier to cut out a path. No one had been here in a long time. That much was clear. The stones looked older and more worn as he progressed. As he was cutting his way through some tall bushes, he suddenly noticed behind them a structure made of rough-hewn stone. Looking up, he could see the pointed slate roof overgrown with moss. This had to be the chapel. Fulcrin flew to the top of the roof and perched on it. Ludlov cut a path around the structure until he came to the open doorway, gaping into the dark. He carefully entered the chapel. There was a hole in the roof, which was the only reason the witch hunter could see anything at all. The window hatches were closed and barred on both sides, but after a minute or two, Ludlow's eyes adjusted to the darkness and he could see more clearly the inside of the building. It was small and humble. He saw the broken down remains of some pews and a stone altar, and against the back wall was a man-sized bronze tablet. It was a relief, once more depicting Santa Gwendala as a winged angel, rising up, holding her sword aloft. The words, Dea Eterna, Miserere Nobis, were carved on top of the relief, and underneath, Sancta Gwendala, Ora Pro Nobis. Ludlov's heart suddenly swelled, and he felt the familiar glow again that had surprised him after the strange dream in the castle. Could this be a coincidence? Here was yet another depiction of the patron saint of his own order. In a rural area, far from the usual influence of the witch hunters, one would rather expect a shrine dedicated to one of the hermit saints, like Wilhelm the White. He approached the relief to study it more closely. As he did so, Fulcrin came flying down from the hole in the roof and landed on Ludlow's shoulder again. He squeaked softly, like he was trying to draw the witch hunter's attention. Ludlow looked at the artwork again. It was beautifully crafted and looked somewhat out of place in this simple chapel, but he saw nothing particularly out of the ordinary about it. Then he looked behind the relief. A door. Fulcrin, you never cease to amaze me. Fulcrin remained stoic and unaffected by the compliment. Carefully, Ludlow took hold of the heavy bronze plate, and with all his strength, he just managed to lift it up enough to rest on his boots. He slid it aside to rest it against the wall, and then turned to the revealed doorway. It had once been a heavy ornamental double door, but it had been broken open. Jagged pieces of wood stood like crooked teeth in the mouth of some great monster. He could easily push it open. And then there was nothing but darkness ahead. 
Ludlow had no torch with him, and the gloom was truly impenetrable. Still, he couldn't resist his curiosity, and carefully treaded into the gaping blackness. He almost lost his footing right away. Oh. <laughs> Careful. It was a very narrow, very steep stairway, leading straight down into a cellar of some sort. Ludlove carefully held the walls on both sides as he followed the steps very slowly. Below, his boots touched hard gravel. At that point, Fulcrin jumped up and flew back into the chapel. The arched ceiling was very low, and Ludlov had to take off his tall hat and hunch over to continue in what seemed to be a tunnel. He had half a mind to turn back as well, but curiosity drew him to carry on at least until he reached the end of the tunnel. The tunnel wound down like a stairwell, making it feel very stifling indeed. But after a few minutes, Ludlov's persistence was more than rewarded. He could almost not believe what he saw. Chains of metal, delicately crafted, luminous like the moon. They were so bright, they partially illuminated the environment around them. They were lying inside an open stone sarcophagus. The lid lay askew to the side. Ludlov approached the chains. White metal. There was no doubt, he had never seen it, but its appearance matched all the stories he had ever read. This was the metal of the swords of angels and the staff of Wolfen himself. These chains were an artifact of sublime beauty and incalculable value. Then he started to wonder why these chains were here and what they were doing inside an open sarcophagus. He began to suspect the worst. Something had been chained here. Something that could only be held by white metal. He wondered what to do. He wanted to take the chains with him, but what would he do with them? Could he use them somehow to banish the demon? Slowly, reverently, he kneeled down and took off his gloves, tucking them underneath his belt. Then, he very gently laid his hands on the white metal. There was no metallic coldness to its touch. Rather, it was like he was holding a living, warm-blooded creature. He could even almost swear that it breathed somehow, even though it did not move. He just felt energy coursing through it, rising and gently falling in a cyclical pattern. Was it asleep? He closed his hands around two of the links, the metal seemed to adjust to his grip somehow, as if it became a natural extension of his own body. He lifted up the chain, looking at it in astonishment. The glow grew brighter, like it was aware of Ludlow, communicating with him. He investigated the chain closely and found there was a name engraved in it. Adamaris. It was a very old name. Ludlov had read a few legends from Oba Classica in which Adamaris had appeared. She had usually been featured as a noble character, a strange queen arriving from distant shores to enchant the widower king 
He couldn't remember whether she had been a heroine or a villain, though. Suddenly, the tale of the Bog Witch came back to him. Little Greta had entered the realm of the witch, armed with nothing but a knowledge of the witch's name and a satchel of blessed dust. Greta had used that dust to blind the witch and escape with the other children. A thought came to him. A daring, insane thought. Adamaris had to be the demon's name. He was almost certain of it. What if this white metal chain were to be his satchel of dust? It was daytime. The beast was most likely asleep in its lair. He could make the journey into the pool and bind her in her own realm. It was a mad plan. If anyone else had come up with it, he would have told them not to do it. But he was Ludlov of Seven Peaks. What if he had been led to this place for this very purpose? No one else could do it. He was Schnatwald's only hope. And now was the time to make the journey.